happy new year. And not just wish you a happy new year, but equip you to live one. Um, James said that thing, you know, it's no good if you just say, hey, be warmed and filled to somebody who's poor and hungry. You need to do something about it. And so we felt like we wanted to do something that would help you to have a happier new year than, uh, than last year. And so we, we learned that last, uh, last week that we're all on a pursuit of happiness, whether we uh, like to admit it or not. And we're all trying to get more happiness in our lives. And we just really don't know sometimes how to get it, where to find it, what it looks like. And we, we do these things. We actually, we forget what happiness is really all about. And so then we, we make decisions thinking they're going to make us happy. And it's, it's crazy. But even as a pastor watching people who, who make these decisions saying, oh, I just want to be happy or that will make me happier. And it's that decision that leads them to incredible regret and incredible unhappiness. And so we wanted to talk and, rem- and just kind of remind ourselves what happiness is really all about. And God designed us to experience happiness. He's not against your happiness. Uh, that's something we talked about last week as well. Uh, and so if you didn't have a chance to, uh, to be here last week, check that one out online. We as well, we're doing a series. Some of it's based on some stuff by Andy Stanley. But the idea of a series is you're not going to get it all tonight. So if after tonight you're like, uh, he missed some stuff. I may have covered it last week, and we may cover it in a couple weeks, but just um, just kind of hold on to that, because especially this one and next week, they go with each other, and if you miss one or the other, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a little bit difficult. So tonight, be kind of listening for the left, and next week, we're going to give you the right, and then you'll have, you know, both, both the one-two punch for happiness. So good to go. Let's do it. That's enough introduction for, for tonight. So last week, after I shared on Sunday, I got all this, these texts. I literally got a text one minute after, after the service was over from one of the guys on Sunday. Uh, and uh, there was a couple texts that were just interesting. And so one of, the, one of the people, last week we talked about, you know, God's favorite song. For some of you, you think if, it's, if, if you're happy and you know it, repent, because you're obviously doing something wrong. He wants you miserable. Um, so that, somebody sent me the whole verse. They finished writing the song. So we're going to sing that next week, maybe. Uh, and then I also got another text message right after that. It said, great message today sent from my iPhone 6, totally knowing that I don't have one of those and uh, would really like one, right? And, and then I got this other one. Happiness is Elk Lake uh, from my friend Bob at the back. And he sent that to us. And, uh, and I was like, you know, it's true. This happiness is Elk Lake. Elk Lake is this place that, that's uh, about seven and a half hours drive and then a portage through seven lakes into the middle of nowhere where it's just peace, Peace and quiet and just, just incredibly beautiful. And after the Christmas holidays with the house full of people and all the parties and games and just volume, I mean, I could go there right now. It would, even if it's, you know, no fish, whatever, just for that thing of peace. And so last week we said, there's, there's, you know, we asked this question, what, what makes you happy? And the answer was no thing. Nothing, no thing will make you happy. And yet tonight I kind of want to, I want to say that there is one thing that, it's not really a thing, but you'll understand in a second. One thing that uh, people who are truly happy, every person who's truly happy has this one thing. It's not an iPhone 6. It's peace. It's peace. Whether they're rich or poor, they can be unhappy, um, but if they have peace, there's a happiness there. If it's a man or it's a woman, it doesn't matter where you're born, Canadians, Americans, Brits, Syrians, even it's where this, this idea of having peace uh, it plays a big part in uh, people being truly happy. And so we want to talk about uh, that a little bit tonight in our last series when we talked about Christmas being personal. We t- touched on the idea of peace just a little bit. That, that, you know, that the angel's message to the shepherds was Jesus came to bring peace on earth and goodwill towards men. 
And then we said, since that time, we've never seen world peace. And, and you have, you know, the, the, that idea of people saying, you know what, they, they, they want to toss it all out and say, yeah, Jesus came to bring peace on earth, world peace, and that, that never happened. And we realize that that's not the kind of peace he was talking about. You know, the, um, the, the bands can sing about it, Miss Universe can wish for it, the Pope can pray for it, we just don't experience it. But we said at that, at that um, uh, session, we had, we had mentioned this thought that what good would it be if the whole world was at peace, but you weren't? You know, what if it was, there was no countries at war, but you and your spouse were, or you and your kids are, or you and your boss are, or you and yourself are? There's no internal peace. And we said this idea that the peace doesn't really matter so much if it's not personal. And that's where I want to kind of take today is this idea of peace being personal for you. Because if you don't have peace, it doesn't matter what else you have. You can have the best car, you can have the best phone, you can have everything else um, that you could buy without peace. There's still going to be an unhappiness in your life. And anything that undermines peace in your life undermines your happiness. And so for many who are struggling with this, this idea of being unhappy, it may very well be a peace issue for you. And we'll talk about that tonight. So uh, back in Bible times, so Matthew, he was writing. So if you're, if you're quick, you'll know that that's where we're going next. But turn to, the, turn to the book of Matthew. Matthew is one of Jesus' followers. And he wrote this account that happened uh, at some point while they, were, while they were hanging out together. Some people, some pretty smart people, they were lawyers, some pretty religious people. They, um, they came and they asked Jesus, they said, you know, Jesus, there's a lot of commandments. And there's 600 and something of them. They said, so, you know, if you're so smart... Which one do you think is the most important? They want to know, in your opinion, Jesus, what's the most important one? And we don't often think of commands or rules as having um, anything to do with our happiness. And we've read this verse before, but I want you to think about it in, in, in light of happiness tonight. We often think that rules and commands, they get in the way of our happiness. They don't, they don't make us happy. They get in the way. Like my kids, you know, they, um, they had heard that uh, other kids were, were skating on the pond and, and they're asking, you know, maybe this thought, can we go skating on the quarry, you know, the, out by our place? And we're like, no, you can't. It's not, it's not, it's not even frozen yet, you know. The, but it's that, that idea of, you know, well, if I were to let them say, you know, they're kind of upset that they don't get to skate. And it's like the rule is you don't skate. If dad can't walk on it, you can't skate on it. That's a good rule to have. It's for their protection. But we sometimes think rules get in the way when it comes to God. And so these guys were asking, Jesus, what's the most important commandment? Because we just want to know. So Matthew chapter 22, verse 35, you can read along here. Jesus actually, in his greatest commandment, and the thing he said was most important, he touches on this topic of happiness, and it goes like this. He says, one of them, who is an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. That's always a bad idea. Never try to trap Jesus, all right? He it will outsmart every time. He, he knows everything. And so he says this, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus simply replied to him, It's this, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And he says, and that's not all. There's a second, um, um, the first, it's the first and greatest commandment, but a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. We see three different groups of people um, in, this, in this commandment, in this most important thing that Jesus said. And it's about loving three different groups of people. And basically they said, Jesus, what's the most important commandment? He says to them, in light of the fact that God loves you, the most important thing you can do is love him back. That's number one. But he says, that's not it. It's not just about you loving him because he loves you. There's two other things I want you to know. Not just to be right with God, not to just have, be at peace with God, but to love your neighbor too. 
to have right relationship with them, to be at peace with them. And the third thing he says is to love your neighbor as yourself, to love you, to be at peace with you. Truly happy people, truly happy people are at peace with these, with at least two of the three of these. They're at peace with themselves, they're at peace with others. And they're at peace with God. And I want to touch on those things a little bit tonight. I definitely want to spend most of my time on the third one. But this idea of being at peace with with these three three people, starting in reverse order, being at peace with yourself. When he says, you know, love your neighbor as yourself, it's important for for him to say that that the, the most important thing is to have these right relationships, being at peace with with God, with others, and with yourself. And truly happy people, they really are at peace with themselves. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. But there's, when you see people that are happy, they're just authentic. They're happy being who they are. There's not this wrestling on the inside of I'm trying to find myself. You know, I like, I wish I was more like my brother. I never had that said to me because I was the oldest, but my siblings struggle with this. They all, you know, that they, 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 they would be more like their older brother. Um, but you've met people like this before, haven't you? You know, they don't look as good as you, and yet they're happier than you. You spent hours in the mirror doing your hair and your makeup, and then you see them. They got no makeup, and they're happier than you. You spent time in the gym. You spent time working extra hard to, to make that paycheck. And, you know, you, you're working so hard to look good, and then there they are with that little paunch and that smile. You know, that just drives you crazy. You're like, I try so hard, and they're happier than me. And you want to be happy with, with who you are. You know, or you drive up here in your shiny brand new SUV and you show park it away from those little scratchers from downstairs. And it's there. And then you get out and you see that family get out of that dirty, rusty minivan smiling. And you're like, they look happier than me. And they probably don't have a $50,000 SUV loan. Like, what's it going to take? And sometimes it's those thoughts, and we talked about last time, it's not about the, the, the what's, but the who's. But for many, there's this desire... On the inside, there's something that just isn't, it's, it's off. They're not happy. They're not at peace with themselves. They're not okay living in their own skin. And it's this, it's this thing that they, you know, desire to change. And I, I think about guys like Nick Wojcicic. Somebody had talked to me about him this week. And I thought, man, what a classic. He's the poster boy for living in your skin. You know, to just be born with no arms, no legs, and no limits, he says. You know, as I was reading through his family thing, he got married as two kids, and uh, he's, you know, just uh, the smile on his face and realizing, you know what, here's, here's how I've been born, here's the life that I have, and realizing I could try and change, I could try and, you know, get all kinds of prosthetic limbs or whatever, but you know what, I'm just going to be happy. And he talks about how he smiles and how that smile just affects the kids that he gets to talk to and says, you know what, God's made you beautiful, live in that, in that skin, and yet, we all know how many people are, are going for plastic surgery and, you know, they just want to change something about their outside appearance. Why? Because they're not happy with who they are inside. They're not at peace with themselves. And, and they think that next thing I do is going to make me happy. I was going to show some pictures gone wrong, but I didn't think it was appropriate. But No. So <laughs> maybe tomorrow. But... Uh, people that are at peace with themselves, they can be open and honest about their shortfalls. They know that they don't have it all together, but they're okay with that. You know, I see that in our groups together, and we get together, you just see some of that, those things that come out, and you realize, man, as people can be uh, open, they can be aware of their past, but not defined by it. 
for so many people there, and maybe it's not in this room tonight, but people that you know, that they're just not happy with themselves because they can't reconcile their past. It haunts them and it hurts them. It's things in the past that hinder them from being at peace with who they are. And it eats at you from the inside, you know, no matter how much you try to buy or how many relationships you try to have or how busy you try to be so you're distracted and not thinking about it. When you get quiet, you're not at peace with you. And that is something that destroys happiness because one of the most important things to God, and Jesus said it, is that you would be at peace with you. Second thought is that being at peace with others. Truly happy people, people that we hope would have a happier new year, truly happy people are at peace with others. You know, the New Testament talks a ton about this idea of relationships with other people. Truly happy people aren't angry at others. They're not churning on the inside, you know, seeking revenge. They're not the ones who are always the victim mentality. It's those people that you never want to ask, hey, how you doing, because they're going to tell you. Like everything that they told you last week, you know, it was like when I was a child, you know, there was that kid in first grade that on the first day said nasty things to me and, and, and you know, the whole story and, and you, you could probably tell it for them. I can just tell you, you've never met a happy, bitter person. It just doesn't work. Happy, truly happy people are at peace with other people. And true happiness isn't determined by the situation or circumstance either. It's incredible. I've met people who have had a great childhood, and they grow up and they're happy. I've met people with a great childhood, and they grow up and they're miserable. But I've also met people that have had just a terrible childhood, very difficult things that happened in their childhood. But as they, as they grew up, they decided to forgive the people that, that had, uh, had uh, hurt them. They decided to, to find that true happiness and be at peace with people. You know them too. You've seen people who've gone through divorce, people who've been robbed, people who've gone through incredibly difficult situations, and yet they found a way to be happy. And it's the F word. I knew that would bring everybody back. Not the one that you want to yell at people, you know, when you're angry at them, but the the word's called forgiveness. It's something that, you know, each and every one of us, these people and relationships bring this to the forefront in our lives. And if, if it doesn't, it just keeps coming around until we get to that place where we forgive. I know that I, I've met some world-class grudge holders. They remember the, the dumb stuff you said, the things that you offended them. They just, they, they can pick it out as soon as you talk to them. You mention one word. And that brings up that story, and they just, they remember what you said about their brother, or they remember things, and it's like, they, they just can't ever seem to get over it. I had a, I had a friend of mine this week, he's texting me, and uh, it's, it's hilarious, because he said, you know, he's asking me for advice, and he texts me, he says, this guy's dog keeps crapping on my lawn. And then, he, you know, to make it worse, he bags it up, and then he puts the bag on my driveway. My wife's walked through it, my kids have walked through it, they tracked it into my house. He's like, and as he's texting me, he's like, I, he says, I know. He said, I picked up the dog crap in the bag, and I knew where that person's house was. He said, I could have put it in the garbage with my garbage. But he says, no, I went there, and I put it right in the middle of their driveway, and I let them, let them know. And then he texts me and says, and I didn't feel any better. In the freezing cold, he walked all the way around the block in the neighborhood to go and do this and realize, you know what? It didn't make him feel any better. Why? Because there's that true happiness. It, it's, it's not tied to that thing. You think, it's again, you think that if I could just get revenge, if I could just make them feel my pain, I won't feel it anymore. It doesn't work. You know, there's no, no, all of a sudden, well, I feel better. I'm happy. See, forgiveness isn't, forgiveness isn't forgetting what's been done to you. Forgiveness isn't putting yourself in a place where you can continue to be harmed. That's not forgiveness. 
Forgiveness is letting people off the hook, letting people off the responsibility of having to make it right with you because they can't. Some people have, have unforgiveness for people who are dead. Their dad's done things to them and he's long gone. And they still can't forgive him. It's not affecting dad anymore, but it's still affecting them. See, the whole idea behind forgiveness isn't really letting them off the hook. It's letting you off the hook. And that's why he says this being at peace with others is so important because you can't be bitter and happy at the same time. And so Jesus was saying to them, the most important commandment is this. In light of the fact that you're loved and in light of the fact that you've been forgiven by him, I want you to forgive others and I want you to love others. And he says, love them as um, as you love yourselves. You know, we know the famous story with Peter and Jesus where G- Peter's like, Jesus, you know, my brother, he did, he, he's offended me. And, and should I forgive him seven times? That'd be pretty good, eh, Jesus? And Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, you got to forgive him 70 times seven. And then after that, you know, by the time you've gotten that far, it's basically this idea of you just have to continue to forgive. And we think, man, they don't deserve it. You don't know my wife. She does not deserve that kind of forgiveness. You don't know my little sister. She does not deserve to be forgiven what she's done and said. And we have these thoughts. But he never said that. He didn't say you forgive because they deserve it. He says forgive them because you deserve it. Forgive them because it's letting you off the hook. And the most important thing to God, one of the most important things, is you'd be at peace with others. Peace with yourself, peace with others. And this third one, peace with God. In many cases, you'll find that truly happy people are at peace with God. For some, you're like, I don't know if I believe in him or not. You know, I, this is where it gets a little, uh, little whatever. You know, the first two will help you incredibly. And it's Jesus who said it. He says, you know, it's a great reason to follow him, even if you don't believe that he's God, is the idea that he's, he understands what you're really, truly looking for. But the fact is, there's so many people that they, their belief in, in the fact that life here, there's more to life here than just life. There's this confidence in them that, there's, that, that that confidence is not in their own ability, but they have this confidence in God that no matter what I face, you can get me through this. I'm not in this on my own. And it brings them, you, I don't know, like I watch, we, we've had families in our church going through the hospital with their children with brain tumors, having to be operated on multiple times and just seeing them at peace. Why? Because it's like, God, I trust you. I, I know that there's more than this. So the first thing that Jesus answered when they asked the question, Jesus, what's the most important thing? This was the first one. He said that you'd be at peace with God, that you would love God as he, in return for the fact that he loves you and love him with all. And it's actually this one that makes the other ones possible. If you heard the last two and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm not really at peace with myself. And oh, I, can't, I can't forgive me for the stuff that I've done. People that realize that God has forgiven them for the stuff they've done gives them the opportunity to forgive themselves for the stuff they've done. Peace with him opens the way to peace with you. And peace with him equips us to have peace with other people. Because it's like when you realize, oh, I can't forgive them. Every time I see them, hear that name, it hurts. You realize, but God, you've forgiven me. And because you've forgiven me, I can forgive them. And it leads to peace with other people. And this idea of peace with God, it can be a really misunderstood thing sometimes. So you hear that sometimes. Hey, have you made peace with God? Usually you hear that about people who are on their, on their deathbed. But this idea of making peace with God presupposes that there's a conflict with God. And there, and there is. There is a conflict with God that each of us have been in or might still be in. And here, here's the conflict. The conflict is this, this word twice, sin. Sin and, and your sin. Two different things. And, and I hear questions, and just even a couple of weeks ago I was talking with somebody about this, because they asked me, they said, you know what? 
I think I'm going to heaven, but I'm not really sure. I don't know if I'm good enough. I don't know if, um, you know, I don't know if I'm good enough to go to heaven. And, um, you know, we talked about this idea of what makes a person a sinner. And so this thing we look at and say, this thing between us and God, this conflict of sin, there's two different levels of that. There's like the big, the big idea of sin that covers this whole planet, and then there's our own personal sins. And so when we're talking about the big idea of sin that's, that covers this whole planet, I want you to think about it this way, because I, I hope that tonight, even in sharing it with you, it might help you in sharing it with others. But it's this idea. Thinking about sin is th- thinking about the country that you were born into. For those of you who were born into Canada, if you were born in the country of Canada, you didn't choose it. I didn't decide that my parents were going to have me in Canada. That just, that's just happened. It's not fair, but it happened. And it's true. That's where, I, that's where I live. And I have all the benefits of being Canadian. I have health care. There's, there's freedoms that I have as being Canadian. There's also a bunch of, you know, um, consequences that I have. That my dollar is worth less than the Americans. And that, uh, you know, I can only speak one language. And there's other things that are, are the um, consequences of kind of being Canadian. We have winter, you know, uh, cold stuff. But this idea of being born into a country, I'm Canadian because I was born here. And the idea of sin, this idea of being a sinner, what makes a person a sinner, is that we're born into it. We're born into this country called sin. And if I, if I can just say, we'll make this, this half right here, sorry for you guys, but we'll make this half the idea that this is the country of sin. You guys are going to be pumped when we get to you. So if you have, you know, and, and, and I would just say this, each and every one of you has been born into that country. You're like, you know, if you doubt that fact that you're a sinner, just ask the people who know you. They will tell you. They don't even need to see your passport. They'll know you are a, a sinner. And the thing is that sin comes natural to us. And that cute little baby, I'm so glad she's here because she's a sinner. I know. You, that, that's hard for us, though. We look at this cute little baby and we say, that cute little baby has not done anything wrong. She doesn't even squawk in the service. Like she's, like she's perfect, right? How could she be called a sinner? Because you just let her grow up all by herself and her mom's not going to have to teach her to sin. She's just got it inside there. I know, she's so cute. But that's the idea of being born into sin. It's this classification of sinner. See, we think sinner is because we sin that makes us a sinner. It went way beyond that. It was way before you ever had the chance to sin that we were, found ourselves in this place called sinner. And we're, we're in, this, in this place where, where we need some, uh, need some help. And in Romans chapter 5, Paul writes to this group of people in Rome. He writes to the believers and he writes this. He says, when Adam sinned, then sin entered into the world. Sin wasn't here before Adam. He said, sin entered the world, and Adam's sin brought death. Sin always brings death. You know it. If you've sinned in your relationships, or your relationships have, have uh, been, been separated, or, or there's been death in relationships, sin's usually one the, the thing. Somebody sinned. Somebody did something they shouldn't. And it says, so Adam's sin brought it to the planet, but it says death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. It's from that one point that all of a sudden, all of mankind got thrown onto this country called sin. Born there. Has nothing to do with what you did or didn't do. And sin always separates. The original sin with Adam, it separated us from God. And so there's a sin country over here, and then there's righteous country over here. I thought you'd be happier about that. All right, so... This idea, though, is that there's these, the, two, the two countries, and we've been separated by this thing called sin, and there's a gap. There's the, the, the gap between, and some of you have probably seen this on a track or something, and, and it's, it's this thought of, you know, how do we get from there to there? But if you picture it, the idea is that 
that um, we act sinful because we're born on this sinful um, uh, country. And, you know, just by acting differently doesn't change anything. I don't know. We played a game the other night where we had to do, uh, use different accents. And just by speaking in like a Spanish accent doesn't make you Spanish. You know, and just by speaking Jamaican, you know, hey, Jim, whatever, I can't try it. Beth makes fun of me. So, yeah, that, you know, the, the, the idea of, of speaking a different accent, that doesn't make me Jamaican. You know, it's, it's, I'm still Canadian because I'm still from this country. Behaving differently doesn't help me make the steps to get across. And so what happens for most people when they're born in this, they think to get across to God, i got to do stuff. i got to do some good works. i got to go to church. Maybe that's why you're here tonight. You're like, hey, you know, maybe God's going to be impressed. Maybe my parents are going to be impressed. But there's these ideas of maybe if I make good choices, if I act a certain way, if I'm good enough, I can cross the gap. And Jesus said it's just not like that. The idea is that you were born into sin, and the only way to get into the other country of righteousness is to be born into it. That Jesus said he's the only way. And people would say there's lots of ways. There isn't. He is the only way to, be, to go from one side to the other. And Jesus described it to a guy at night, another really smart um, religious guy, and uh, he said to him, you know what, you need to be born again if you're going to, uh, to go from this side to this side. It wasn't change your behavior. It wasn't you got to try and act better, stop doing that bad stuff and do good stuff. He says you can't do it on your own. It's simply in, uh, in being born again. And Nicodemus is a guy, he's pretty smart, but he asked Jesus, like, how do you do that? How do I go back into my mother? And she's like, stop thinking those kind of thoughts. That's not what I'm saying. He's like, that's just gross, right? He's like, the idea is this, this thought, the idea behind it is that you need to be born from the inside. Something has to be born into this new kingdom. And so in Romans chapter 5, Paul writes to the believers and he says, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God. There's that thought. We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. See, peace with God, this idea of coming from this side to this side, begins with faith in Jesus Christ. Begins with simply trusting Jesus, that what he's done, not be, it's not, you know, it doesn't say that since we, um, you know, therefore, since we were better people, or therefore, since we tried harder than the guys on the other side of the thing, or therefore, since God liked us and didn't like them, it just simply says, that we have been made right in God's sight by faith because of what Jesus has done. And Jesus came to bridge that gap and take us from darkness into light, take us from sin into peace with God. Colossians, he writes to them as well. And he says this, For he, Jesus, has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. He's rescued us from this idea, the, 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 the country of sin. He pulled you out of that, and it says he's transferred you to the, the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. He's done, he's done it all for us. And it says God, basically it's saying God's accepted you into this kingdom of righteousness based on you accepting what he's done for you, based on you trusting what Jesus has done for you to get you there. It wasn't what you did. And a lot of times we, we misunderstand that because we think we got saved and we became a, a Christian because we decided to trust Jesus and now we're on this side, but if we sin, we feel like we fell over to here somehow. You know, and that, you know, oh, I, I was really bad this week. I don't know if I'm going to make it. I better go to church. I better pray a lot more. I better beat myself up or something. Because somehow i got to get back across to, to here where I'm at peace with God. 
He says, you're at peace with him if you believe in what Jesus has done for you. And it says, what, I was trying to think about what that's like, and I thought it's kind of like, you know, going across the border. You know, when you get to the border, you have to, you meet this guy, and you got to, what's the question they always ask you? Do you have anything to declare? Yes. I remember going, I remember going, for me, it's like, do you have any weapons? That's normally what they ask me. I, I have a bunch of charges. We'll talk about that another time. But I, uh, I remember going with Wesley, and I think Ronnie, it was the three of us, we went uh, skiing um, uh, down in the States, and we came back, and Wes had this thing. He's like, you know what? Butter in the States is like super cheap, so let's bring a cooler along. Let's bring 50 pounds of butter home, because, uh, you know, you can each have 20 pounds worth of butter. And so we got to the, finished skiing, and we went, and we bought 50 pounds of butter, and then we, we get to the border, and the guard looks at us like, yeah, anything to declare? And it's like, no, I just got some butter. And he's like, what do you mean by you got some butter? He's like, yeah, but it's fine. He's like, he, he's being all smart, right? I looked it up online. I'm allowed to take 20 pounds of butter back across the border. <laughs> so the guard looks at us like, you got fi- how much butter? He's like, oh, just 50 pounds, but there's three of us. You know, that's, we're fine. And, and he, uh, he looks, and he says, that's not how this works. He's like, you're allowed to have 20 pounds of dairy, but that is like four pounds of butter and per person. So that's 12. And we're like, oh, Wes, you talked us into buying 50 pounds of butter. And uh, he's like, He's just, it's like midnight by the time we're there. He's like, oh, you, I says, you just made my day. I've never seen this before. I probably will never see you. Just get on out of here, you dumb Canadians, right? And he lets us go. But, but there's this thing of, do you have anything... Do you have anything to declare? And it's that same thought. Do you know that this idea from transfer from here to here is based on what you declare? It's the idea of declaring based on Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, that I declare that I am from the nation of sin. I declare that I am a sinner, that I, that I am um, in need of a Savior. I declare that I don't want to live in the nation of sin anymore, and God, that you would rescue me. I also declare, God, that I believe that you exist I believe that you exist, and it's by faith alone that I can please you. I believe that you sent your son for me, and that he died on a cross to pay for my sins. I believe that. And I believe, and I declare that he rose again from the dead, and I trust that he alone is the one that creates peace between you and me, and you cross over to this spot. And he accepts you into this place like, he did it all. He did it all, and something changes on the inside. You're going to look identical to what you did, you know, before that time of simply accepting God. Same hair, same clothes, same everything, different on the inside. And so some hear this and they say, so what you're saying is that I've been forgiven for everything I've ever done. And I'm forgiven for everything that I'm ever going to do. That by being here, if I'm in righteous land and I sin, that God's not going to send me to hell for that. Yeah. Yeah, that's what he's saying. And some of you are like, why didn't anybody tell me this? If they had told me I could be a Christian and still do everything I wanted to do and not get sent to hell, that's good news. No wonder they call it good news. And that thought has been around since way back when. Paul wrote to the Romans and they said, you know, he said to them, should we keep on sinning over here? We've been reborn. We're not in that nation of sin anymore. And just because you've forgiven for it, he says, does that mean we should keep on sinning um, because God's already forgiven us? And he says, no. Does that mean we should just keep trying to um, find our own ways to happiness on this side because, because we're forgiven, we're okay? And he says, certainly not. That's not what this is, this is all about. But what I find sometimes is that, that, that people have this thought. If I'm already forgiven, I can just do whatever I want. Picture it like this. Like being, um, you know, a bad driver. You know, you're like, every ticket's paid for, so I can just drive as fast as I want. You know, if every ticket's paid for, then I can just park however I want. 
Some of you who park out there need to, like, uh, follow the rules. Um, and some, you know, some who'd say, you know, if, if every ticket's been paid for, then I can just run any red light I want to because it's paid for. And this thought, you know, Paul's saying to them, it's not that way, not just because, you know, because you don't, you don't get to this spot and say, hey, you know what, I'm, I'm, my, my motivation for, you know, uh, living differently and seeking God isn't because he's going to send me to hell if I, if I make the wrong decisions. It's the thing that these decisions here still have consequences. There's still things that wreck your peace, and it's that personal sin. I want to finish with this thought, the personal sin. There's this big idea of sin where God said, hey, you were born a sinner, and now I've called you righteous. But then there's the individual stuff that each and every one of us has, and it, it can destroy your happiness as well. You can be here, been saved, been born again, been accepted into God's family, and still be miserable because of the, the not understanding that he's calling us to, to live differently. It's this thought, you know, it's, picture this like growing up with good parents. If you didn't have good parents, picture growing up with my parents. All right? So they were good parents. Not just because they're here. I'll say that tomorrow too. There's this, this idea of growing up with good parents. Guess what good parents say to you sometimes? No. I know, eh? See, we hear no and we think they're bad parents. We, it's like it, it breaks this peace between us. You know, it's like they say no and it makes us angry. I remember growing up, my parents would be like, no scary movies. Like, uh, you know, you can't watch that movie. Uh, you know, you can't watch 90210. Uh, you know, yeah. for those who remember that show. Uh, they'd say things like, no sleepovers. And we'd be like, uh, you know, we hate that. Well, everybody else gets to. They'd say things like this, no dating till you're 18. I'm like, oh, I'm never going to get married. All, they'll all be gone by the time I'm 18, right? And I'm like, oh, and, and it would be this thing. You know, these girls would call. And they'd be talking to me on the phone, and my dad'd be like, Who's that? I'm like, A friend. So the girl? Yep, give me that phone. Hi, Mark. Uh, he's like, he, like, he can't talk right now. He's not 18. And you know, it'd be like, Either, okay, it's not quite that bad, but he'd be like, Either you tell him or I'll tell him. And I was like, Okay, okay, I'll tell him. Yeah. Uh, and it was this thing. I know it made me angry, right? It made me angry. Uh, but I thank them to this day for it. But see, you know what? Erect the peace for a while because good parents are going to say no, say no sometimes. And as a parent now, I know it. It's hard when I see my kids and I know that when I tell them no, there's going to be unpeace in our house for a while. I know that when I go downstairs and my four kids are playing Minecraft or um, Lego Marvel and I tell them, it's time to turn it off. There's no more Xbox. Finn will just drop to the floor, start kicking. Ah! It's the end of, end of his life. He, he, you know, it's like, it's just so terrible. And I'm like, oh, I don't want that. But as a good parent, going to say, no. I'll say no to sleepovers. And they'll be like, oh, come on, Dad, why? My parents did it to me. I'm doing it to you. <laughs> you know, this, this idea. And, and they'll say, Dad, come on, can we have candy? I'm like, no, you can't have candy before you go to bed. Why? Because I'm a good, good father. And there'll be doors that slam. But you know why I say that? Because it said this. Jesus described God when they said, what's God like? And he's like, it's hard to explain what God is like on a level that you're going to understand. He's so much more than this. But just know that he's a a good 
um, good, good father. And it's be like, you know, Jesus, he's trying to explain God. And like, he's obviously more than just a father. But he says, it's like that idea of you level things down so people can understand. When you talk to your kids and your kids ask you, you know, hey, dad, where did babies come from? You know, you don't tell them this. It's when the male gamete, which possesses a haploid set of DNA containing chromosomes, meets and fuses together with the nucleus of the female gamete, and they produce a diploid cell called a zygote, and the zygote continues to develop throughout the ninth month gestation until it's delivered. Exactly. That's true. That's a scientific, you know, technical, whole idea, church-safe way of talking about reproduction. But, but nobody understands it. And it would be the same way as people like, hey, what's God like? And Jesus is like, oh my goodness, how do I explain to humanoids what God is like? He's like, you know what? The best thing I can tell you, the closest that I can tell you is that he's the perfect father. He's the perfect parent. He's the one who's going to do what's right all of the time for you, and he has your best interest in mind, and that means he's going to say no sometimes. And it's that idea that sometimes when you're over here, he dings your conscience, and you got those thoughts, and you're like, oh, you know, God, come on. You know, I, I don't want to deal with this right now. And you feel like he's putting these things on your life, and you're like, oh, this is difficult. And he says, you know what? I love you too much to simply say yes to everything. I love you too much. It's not good for you. And even though you think you know better, even though you think I can get my happiness this way, he's like, I'm going to say no. He's going to remind you even today again being like, hey, you need to forgive that person. And you had a picture, you had a face come to your mind when I said it. That's him. Like, God, I'll be happy if I don't think about her. He's like, no, you need to work through forgiveness for you. He'll say things like, you know what, you can't hate others and be at peace with me. He's like, you can't, you can't hate other people and think that, that our relationship's good because I love those people. And it's like, you know, it'd be like somebody, you know, picking on my kid, picking on Lincoln, and then all of a sudden saying to me, hey, Mark, we're good, right? I'm like, no, we're not good. You just picked on my kid. That's that same thought. He's going to say things like having sex before or outside of marriage is going gonna, it's, it's gonna to hurt you. I'm, not, I'm never going to say yes, that's, that's good for you to, to do. Come on, God, you're like everybody else. He's going to say you can't buy your way into happiness. You'd be like, ah. Oh. And it's going to be those choices where you say, you know, just like in, at home where by making your own choice, by being angry, it kind of wrecks the peace. But it says it wrecks that, that happiness. He's a good, good father, and he's saying it because he cares about your true happiness. He cares about you. He knows the decisions that those decisions you make will ultimately erode your peace. And anything that undermines your peace with you, your peace with others, or your peace with God will ultimately destroy true happiness in your life. The thing that you're really looking for. Really, the last thought here is this. The most important thing is that God wants you to be at peace with him. So tonight, maybe you've, you know, maybe you're learning things as you see, and you're like, you know what? I I don't think I've ever put my trust in Jesus. I don't think I've ever actually, you know, made that decision to, to, to just simply trust that he did it for me. I, I keep trying to do it on my own. I keep, if you, if you even have the question in your head, am I good enough? You haven't put your trust here yet. Because it's simply based on that. And he wants, the most important thing is that he wants you to be at peace with him. And he made some pretty huge steps to make that possible. Something that God's angry at everybody who's over here that he's angry at people that are sinners. It's not like that, though. I don't know if you've ever lost a child. If you're a parent and you've lost a child, just 
there's this moment where, you know, that panic sets in. Our son Lincoln, we, it's, the kid in our family that gets lost is always Lincoln. Um, we, we lost him at Great Wolf Lodge twice, I believe. Yeah, once he went down an elevator by himself when he was two, and the next time he ran away, and they locked down Great Wolf Lodge till we found him. Uh, but there's another time we're at our house. Something had happened, and he was upset, and all of a sudden, none of us knew where Lincoln was. We had friends and family over, and, and all of a sudden, it was like, anybody seen Lincoln? No, well, let's go find him. And so it became a game. Everybody go find Lincoln. And so we all were searching, but, you know, it was a fun game until nobody found him. And then we're like, okay, we're upstairs and with our friends. We're like, okay, I'll check the backyard. You check the front yard. Let's check the sheds. Let's check everywhere. You know, maybe he's in a rain barrel somewhere. Let's go find him. So we go out and we start looking everywhere. And then, you know, Beth and I had watched this movie about kids that get kidnapped. You know, uh, there was this, um, S- what are those things, uh, the Winnebago or something. Where these, these, yeah, no, like the thing. And so these kids had gotten kidnapped and we're like, all of a sudden it's like, oh, no, you know, we saw this creepy van out there. And so Beth is like, at, well, at some point you just lose any thought of what other people think of you. And you just go, you're going to find, you're going to go and find your son. So I'm running around the backyard. She's running down the road, looking and calling out for our son trying to find him. Jackie Constable, you know, she's out there and she sees this van and they're driving by slowly. You see these two creepy guys were smoking. It's always creepy guys smoking. And this van driving slowly, patrolling through towns and picking up stray children. And so it's like this freaking thing. They're like writing down the license plate and taking the color, making sure to remember what these guys look like if we can't find Lincoln. And then finally, you know, as we're like looking everywhere, we finally find him hiding in the cabinet underneath the fish aquarium. I don't know how he fit in there. And we find him there. And do you know what? When we finally find him there, were we angry? No. You're so relieved that we found him. And we got him out of there and we picked him up and we, we hugged him. We tried to find out and something had happened that was broken relationship for him. And he was pretty upset. But as we held him close and realized, son, we love you. You were lost, but we found you and we're relieved. And you know what? That's the same way that God feels about every one of his kids who's still over here. He's just looking for you. He's simply looking for you. He's relieved. It's not this idea of, God, I'll try and please you. He says, just trust me, and I'll wrap my arms around you. It's a song we sang tonight. He's the hope of the world with arms out wide, that I can know you forever, that I can love you forever, and it goes both ways. So my question tonight is this. Have you made peace with God? That's that idea of stepping across and saying, I trust you, Jesus. I've made peace with God. Are you at peace with God where, you know, you, there's no tension. The, the tension that's here, you're like, you know what, God, my answer to you is yes, no matter what your question is. Or you have things here that you're like, ah, oh, he pricks my conscience and I just, I keep wanting to do my own thing. Are you at peace with others? Or you got relationships that you just are, you've dug your heels in. You're not going to make them right. And are you at peace with you? Because it's any one of these three that you've got missing ultimately destroys true happiness. I can wish you a happy new year, but it ain't going to happen. So next week we're going to talk about, because some some questions that come up or whatever, but if you ask Jesus the question, Jesus, what does true happiness look like? If you want to know the answer, come back next week. Let's pray. Father, I just want to say thank you tonight that you create us to, to have the, the ability to enjoy life, to have the ability to experience happiness, to have uh, all of those things perfectly created in us and when it was destroyed by sin, I thank you that you sent your son for us to restore it. Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving your life for me. And thank you that we can simply trust in you and experience a whole new kind of life. Father, I pray for those here tonight who are wrestling with these thoughts. And Holy Spirit, you are so much better at talking to hearts than I am. 
And I just thank you that uh, as we leave this place, that, that uh, they'll continue to hear your voice, just calling them to you, that they would reach out to you and, and begin to just uh, trust in you, Jesus, and find that incredible salvation. Father, I thank you for tonight and the safe place that we have to celebrate you and worship you and be a family. Pray your protection uh, over each person here. Pray your love and your joy just to flood their homes and their marriages as they, uh, as they follow after you. May they experience what life with you is really meant to be. Thank you for that. It's in your awesome, wonderful name we pray. Amen.